Well, good morning, church. My name is Clement. For those of you who have not met me, I'm one of the ministry apprentices here at Grace Point. Please join me and bow your heads as we pray to our Heavenly Father. Lord, as we come before your word, we pray, Father, that you may prepare our hearts. Whatever anxiousness, whatever worries, whatever anxieties that we have, we cast it aside. We ask, Lord, for your strength to cast it all aside as we come before you to hear the preaching of your word, and whatever truth that we hear from your word, may you seal into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Recently, um, Netflix released a show called Celebrity. It's about a budding social media influencer and her attempt to expose the dark side of influencer culture. And you see, throughout the series, you'll see her reflections The main character started off as being quite humble. But over time, once she started gaining traction as an influencer, fame and success got the better of her. She became arrogant and entitled. It led her to use whatever means necessary to become famous. And in her pride, she abandoned the closest people who supported her throughout. Reflecting on the whole experience, she became the very thing that she despised. And her pride proved to be her downfall. And friends, it's safe to say that none of us here are strangers when it comes to pride. Like a balloon, pride is an overinflated sense of our worth, it's thinking too highly of ourselves. And the danger is, pride makes us trust it depends on ourselves too much. It makes us uh, make poor decisions, and even when we are confronted, it stops us from admitting that we were wrong. You know, how many of us know of relationships that are broken, people that were harmed, all because of one person's pride? And two weeks ago, Pastor Elliot led us through Hosea chapter 6. And we saw that the issue with God's people was their half-hearted repentance. They're not genuinely repenting to God. And as we come to Hosea chapter 7, God confronts us with our pride. He confronts us with the very thing that acts as a barrier that breaks our relationship with him. And so church, if you have your outlines, we'll be looking at the passage and we'll be be looking at the topic of pride through the following titles. Firstly, we'll see the cue to pride or the signs to pride. Next, we'll see the characteristics or the symptoms of pride. And last, we'll look at what's the cure for pride. The cue the characteristics, and the cure for pride. You see, pride is a very serious issue. And may we see that humility and love is the antidote to our pride. That humility, humility and love is the antidote to our pride. Come with me to point one. And from the beginning of Hosea till now, God hasn't been pulling his punches. It's clear that at this point, God was frustrated with his people. He was frustrated with Israel, with Ephraim. And his frustrations come from the fact that they were oblivious to how bad things were in their lives. And we can see that the passage shows us that on the one hand, they were trapped in internal conflict. Verses 3 to 7 tells us that what was going on in the royal courts. You know, in the Old Testament, kings of God's people... They were meant to lead people in obedience to God's law. 
They were meant to defend the nation. They were meant to rule with justice and righteousness. But here, instead, we see them preoccupied with drinking and having fun. Living life to their best. Doing whatever that pleases themselves. And you and I know that when we're having a lot of fun, when someone's having the best time of their lives without restraint, it makes them complacent. It makes them vulnerable. And as a result, with their complacency, it gave room for conspiracy to grow within the royal court. It gave room for people to plot against the throne. And we can see from the passage that in their complacency, the kings were manipulated. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 reads, They delight the king with their wickedness, and the princes with their lies. You know, clearly these conspirators, these wicked people, they know what to do and what to say to get the kings and princes on their side. You know, they are quite charming. They're well-spoken, sweet talkers, you know, flattery. Oh, you're so handsome. You're so great. And it lulls the kings and the princes into this false sense of security. And all the while, as the Cantonese saying goes, their smile hides the dagger of conspiracy. For those of you who know. And next, uh, we can see that as the kings were manipulated, they were taken advantage of, right? Verse 5 reads, On the day of the festival of our king, the princes became inflamed with wine, and he joins hands with the mockers. We all know that getting drunk is also another dangerous sign or situation, because in getting drunk, people can take advantage of you quite easily. And that was exactly what the conspirators did. They were the mockers. They were waiting for the opportune time, the the moment when the kings and the princes were intoxicated in their wine. They waited till they were most vulnerable. And as they were taken advantage of, the kings were killed without mercy. In verses 6 to 7, we can see that the metaphor that Hosea uses, Hosea compares them with an oven. And mind you, these are not ovens that we use nowadays where we can just set and forget, even if we leave it on for the whole night. These are ovens that need constant attention. It needs constant monitoring so that it doesn't go haywire, it doesn't overheat, or it doesn't burn without control. Yet this was exactly what happened. You know, the metaphorical baker leaves without checking the fire, and the next day the whole thing was in flames. As verse 7 tells us, the ember of the plots go unnoticed, and without warning, the very next day, the kings were killed and devoured by their flames. You see, no limits, no loyalties. This was the reality of Israel during that time. And if you get a chance to read 2 Kings chapter 15, you'll know. King after king rose to the throne, and king after king were killed and replaced. During that time in Israel's history, there was no stability, but only indulgence, only bloodshed, only violence. And so on the one hand, they were stuck in internal conflict, but on the other hand, they were also externally compromised. We see that in verses 8 to 11. Firstly, God's people were compromised in their identity. Verse 8 reads, and let me read it out for us, Ephraim or Israel, mixes with the nations. Ephraim is a flat loaf not turned over. 
You see, we've got to remember what was the original intention of God's kingdom, of God's people. You know, they were meant to be set apart. They were meant to be special. They were meant to be a light pointing towards God and His greatness and goodness. They are meant to be a megaphone to the nations. But like sugar that has been mixed into cake batter, they were virtually indistinguishable. You know, perhaps they picked up the foreign, foreigners' accents. You know, they started dressing like them. But they also started mixing up their own religious practices. And so in verse 8, God compared them to a half-baked cake. Inedible, useless, and ineffective as God's representatives. And secondly, they were compromised in their strength. They were compromised in their strength. Verse 9 reads, Foreigners sap his strength, but he does not realize it. You know, in ancient times, to secure your allies, you'll need to pay them a tribute in exchange for something. You know, it could be protection, it could be goods, and it could be in the form of gold, silver, and agricultural goods as well. But here's the thing, they don't notice that these foreign nations, like leeches, were bleeding their people dry. And the nation's leaders, they had no clue whatsoever. Read the rest of verse 9. You see, and this is, this is meant to be quite comical, right? Like, this is what verse nine, uh, the rest of verse 9 reads. His hair is sprinkled with gray, but he does not notice. And we're meant to go, what? Wait, hang on a second. A, a head full of gray hair and you didn't notice? I started having a few strands of gray hair when I was 14 and I noticed instantly. My friends pointed it out straight away. How much more should Israel notice? But yet, they don't notice a thing. Nor do they care. They were so confident in their ability to negotiate, to buy favor. And they were so confident in their allies that they failed to realize that slowly over time, they were losing their strength. They were losing their vitality. So internal conflict, external compromise it is clear that God's people were in a really messed up state. And what made God even more frustrated? Their response. We see that in verses 7 and 10. Notice how they tend to respond even when confronted. And let me read it out for us, right? Verse 7, all their kings fall. All of their kings fall. All of their kings were murdered over and over again. No stability. Yet none of them cause on me. Even verse 10, Israel's arrogance testifies against him. His pride is causing him to lose strength. His pride is causing him to weaken. But despite all of this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Like a patient who refuses to accept a life-saving surgery, God's people refuse to return to God. You know, at this point, we need to take a step back and ask this question. Why? Why were they so stubborn? Why wouldn't they recognize how bad and how messed up things were? The reason why they don't recognize it is because they were trapped in the allure of power. You see, God's people wanted to be strong. 
They wanted to be mighty as a nation. They wanted to stand at their own two feet. And so there is a promise that they couldn't resist. Because if they have the right domestic and foreign policy, like all the nations around them, like all the superpowers around them, they can have it all. They might be saying, oh, you know, if we can just find the right king, if we can just find the right allies, things will be all right. And so instead of trusting God, they played the game everyone was playing. They kept killing and replacing their kings. And verse 11, if you have your Bibles and look at it, verse 11 tells us that like a dove or a pigeon, they flit from nation to nation trying to look for a suitable ally. And friends, we've got to admit, this sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Like you and I, for example, can say that as Christians, we trust and depend on God. We have God, we have Jesus on our side. But functionally, we can be banking on our own versions of kings and allies. We can be banking on our own versions of kings and allies to make us feel secure and fulfilled in life. Like verbally, we may say, God, you're great, you're all, praise God, worship God. But functionally, we may say in our hearts, you know what, if I just find the right career, or if I just find the right girl and the right guy to get married to, or if I can just find the the right friend or the right church, you, you name it, then everything will be fine. And so some of us jump from career to career, lover to lover, friend to friend, or church to church, trying to find some sort of ultimate fulfillment in these things. And as a result, some of us make really, really poor decisions. Like Israel will turn good things into ultimate things, we get caught up by what they promise And in time, we let them sap away our time, our energy, and our strength. In refusing to trust in God, we do not realize that these things are not meant to satisfy. Isn't any wonder why many of us still feel empty and restless inside? Friends, this is a cue or a sign to our pride and what it is capable of. Pride can blind us to our faults. It can blind us to our weaknesses and our need to turn back to the God of the universe. Pride can lead us to bank on anything but God for provision and protection. And we break our relationship with God and we crush ourselves as a consequence. Come with me to point two. You see, church, I pray that we recognize the danger of pride. Yeah, here's the thing. Pride can be very obvious. We imagine this big, like, strong, buff guy who's like saying, look at me, I'm so strong, I'm so noble, look at me. Not me, but, you know, (laughs) right? Pride can be obvious. Pride can be seen as boasting. Sometimes we know the obvious signs of pride, but pride can be obvious, but yet it can also be subtle. And so pride can be expressed in the following subtle ways. Pride can be expressed in our insecurity. You know, many of us struggle with a sense of feeling undervalued or worthless. And so we bank on things to feel good or special. You know, we can bank on our wealth and our achievements, you know, perhaps our leadership position within our company or our church. 
We can bank it on our physical appearances, how we look, or we can bank it on our relationships. Things that will give us a sense of pride to feel valued and worth something. Things that we can hide behind to cover our insecurity. And here's the thing. It's, 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 the problem is it's subtle. So how do we test it? It might be worth asking this question. So if you have a pen, make sure to write this down. Ask yourself this question. How do you tend to respond when someone critiques or questions what you pride yourself on? Let me say that again. How do you tend to respond when someone critiques and questions what you pride yourself on? You know, for example, if your value is banked on your achievements, then whenever someone says something remotely critical or gives you some sort of feedback that is maybe negative in a way, it can make you feel uncomfortable and defensive. Or if your value is banked on your physical appearance, how you look, then any comment about your height, about your growing waistline or your wrinkles, all of that is going to send you into a spiral. You're scared of any sort of negative feedback or critique. And you feel anxious all the time. Another sign of pride or subtle sign of pride could be entitlement. You know, we may think highly of ourselves. We may think so great of ourselves that we assume that all we deserve is the best things in life. You know, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 14. How do God's people respond when things aren't going their way? Verse 14 reads, They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to the gods for grain and new wine, but they turn against me. Notice two things. Whenever things are not going their way, notice two things that they did in response. One, they responded by chucking a tantrum. (laughs) You know, they're like kids who had their Wi-Fi's taken. They, they, they cry, they, they scream, oh, it's so unfair, I don't deserve this. Parents in the room, yep, I've heard that many times before, right, parents? Oh. They were acting like spoiled brats. But that's not only the thing that they did. They, not only did they chuck a tantrum, they, they bargained by cutting themselves. And you might be thinking, well, hold up, that's a little bit extreme, right? Like, why would you cut yourself? Now, the reason why the Israelites were cutting themselves is because it was part of their practice in Baal worship. You know, we're no strangers to Baal. Baal, this foreign Canaanite god that the Israelites kept worshipping other than God. And part of the worship is by cutting themselves, it is a way for them to secure some sort of blessing. It is for them to cut themselves and to go with the Baals to bring rain to the land, to allow their crops to grow, to allow their nation to flourish, new grain, new new wine. And that was their way of bargaining. Hey, look, I've cut myself. You, You better come through, God, and give me what I need. In other words, God, I've done all that you've asked. I've done all that you've asked me to do, so give it to me. Give me my blessing. Give me what I am owed. And friends, don't we do something similar? You know, when things don't go our way, when God doesn't give us what we asked, don't we chuck our own adult version of a tanty? God, I, don't I deserve to be happy? Why won't you give me the job that I asked for? 
Why wouldn't you give me the girl or the guy of my dreams? Why wouldn't you allow me to become rich? It's so unfair. I don't deserve this. And here's another thing. Don't we symbolically cut ourselves and bargain with God based on our works? You know, God, I've served you for so many years. I've given so much of my time, my talents, my treasures to the church. I've sacrificed so much for you. Don't I deserve more? Don't I deserve better? And friends, we may not say these things out loud, but our response when God doesn't give us what we want speaks volumes. And last but not least... Ingratitude can be another subtle sign of pride. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says that God has trained and strengthened their arms, but yet they plot evil against him. You know, here, like what God is saying is this My people, my child, I comforted you when you were weak. I encouraged you when you were struggling. I provided you with all that you need to stand in this world. Yet instead of acknowledging me, you claim that everything you own came from your own strength. Instead of trusting me, you accuse me of harming you and turn away from me. You see, friends, to be ungrateful is to forget and to grumble. You know, we forget that everything we own comes from his hands and we live as independent beings. And we also focus on the things that we don't have rather than the things that we have and grumble about God's lack of care and provision. Church, this is the many ways in which our pride can manifest itself subtly. And if you read the passage carefully, in Hosea 7, we are starting to sense a bit of God's heart, right? Verse 13, God says, I long to redeem them. In other words, God is saying, I long to buy them back from the things that enslave them and cost them. We just read verse 15, right? God longs to provide and protect his people. He longs to strengthen and train them like a loving parent. He longs to give them everything that allows them to flourish, to sustain them, to nurture them for their own good. But yet in our pride, we rather trust in ourselves other than God. Church, it is one thing to reject the rule of a tyrant. It is another to reject the love of a father. Let me say that again. It is one thing to reject the rule of a tyrant. It is another to reject the love of a father. Our pride can be a barrier to repentance. And our pride can blind us to the goodness and kindness of God. Is it no wonder that God at this point is as hurt as he is angry with us? Come with me to point three. See, friends, what is the cure? What is the antidote to our pride? You know, if you have been following our series of Hosea so far from chapter, or well, first chapter all the way till now, it does feel like God has been, you know, rebuking us, challenging us, and many of us, including me, I'm sure you feel weighed down by guilt. And I have to give you a heads up that still one more chapter is left before we hear a promise of hope. But don't get too discouraged. 
Because hope and grace flows through Hosea. Look at verses 12 with me. Verse 12 reads, When they go, referring to Israel going to Egypt and Syria, I will throw my net over them. I will pull them down like the birds in the sky. When I hear them flocking together, I will catch them. Or if you have the ESV translations, it says, I will discipline them. In other words, God isn't done with his people. We hear that over and over again. God is not done with his people. God will not leave his people stuck in their arrogance and their pride. How does he do it? He breaks their allegiances with these foreign powers. He breaks them. He forces them to not work out. All so that Israel can finally open her eyes so that she may see her weakness, humble herself, and return to him. And so church, I want us to be prepared. Because this may be what God does exactly in your life. Whether it is your money, your career, your achievements, or your relationships, you know, in order to rescue you from your pride, in order to rescue you from depending on these things, God may take away the very thing that you bank on for worth and value. And it will take these things away for your own good. And if you're like me and you have experienced what it's like, you, you know how painful it is. Whenever we have our idols or the things we bank on removed, we, it feels like the whole world is about to end, right? It feels like God is condemning us then and there. It feels like there is no hope. But friends, as we see throughout the book of Hosea, God's judgment is not a mark of condemnation, but it is a mark of correction. Just like Israel, he may be freeing us from the allure of these false gods. He may be helping us face our pride and humble ourselves. Like medicine, his discipline may be bitter, but it ends up being the very thing that saves us. Like medicine, his discipline may be bitter, but it ends up being the very thing that saves us. And so for those of us who feel the guilt of our pride, who feel humbled at this point, this is exactly where God wants you to be. And there is hope. There is hope because despite our arrogance, despite our pride, despite how undeserving we are, God sent his son to rescue us from his judgment. You know, in Jesus, we see the ultimate example of humility. Even though he deserved to be worshipped as the king of the universe, as a man, he humbled himself to our lowly position. In all his glory, in all his holiness, he is not meant to be accessible. But in becoming a man, he made himself approachable to sinners like us. And not only do we have a strong uh, example of humility, but we also have a strong example of love. Because even though we didn't deserve it, our God and our King gave his life for us on the cross. He removes any basis of pride we may have, and he leads us to a new life of humility. Church, that's a beautiful thing. You know, Jesus loves us so much that he will not allow our pride to fool us into following after temporary fragile things. Out of his love, he brings us back. He brings us back in love. 
so that when we trust in Him, we will find true satisfaction and joy. So friends, humility and love is the antidote to our pride. So that if we humble ourselves and trust in His love, there is a promise that our pride will no longer condemn us because our Lord Jesus offers us forgiveness and a new life free from the broken effects of your pride. And so as we draw to a close, let me speak to three groups of people today. To those who are insecure. You know, maybe you are someone who feels worthless, not good enough. And so maybe you bank your value on what you possess or what you do. If that's you, may I encourage you to remember this. Know your value. Know your worth is secure in the one who gave his life for you. In your deepest struggles with insecurity, cling to Jesus and his love. Because friends, I I promise you, look towards anything else for worth. And its fragility will leave you constantly anxious and restless. But if you look towards Jesus' love for you, a love that cannot be taken away, regardless of how much you struggle, you will be able to stand firm. You will have the security to face any criticism or change that comes your way. So as an exercise, maybe after service, you can take some time with someone that you trust and list out the things that you're tempted to bank yourself worth on. Surrender these things to God in prayer and ask him to help you anchor in Jesus and his promises instead. And perhaps you are someone who is entitled. Maybe you're someone who thinks highly of yourself. You think that you deserve the best things in life. Recognize that because of your pride, all you deserve is God's anger and judgment. The fact that you are not facing his ultimate judgment right now, it is a testament to his mercy and not in your goodness. So, Please, humble yourself. Turn back to the one whose love you do not deserve. And this will take true vulnerability, and it's scary, but if you can, talk to the people closest to you and ask them, hey, uh, are there ways that I can act entitled sometimes? It's scary to ask that question. Even now, I'm, I'm terrified in asking that, right? But it's better to recognize it now than to become blinded by your own sense of entitlement. Last but not least, uh, for those of you who are ungrateful, maybe you are someone who thinks that you've earned everything that you have. Remember, everything you possess, everything that you have in life, even the breath of life itself, it's all a gift from God. You did not earn it. You do not buy it through your good works. It's God who gives it to you freely. And just as he gives, he can freely take back. And so in humility, do not trust in your own ability, but acknowledge God as the giver of all things. Praise him. Genuinely give thanks to him. Give thanks to the one who gave you more than what you deserve. And I promise you, you will find yourself more joyful more grateful, more alive in Him. So when you're tempted to grumble, to complain, take some time to slow down and ask, what can I give thanks to God for today?
I know some of you guys journal. So if you're in the habit of journaling, it'll be great. Like write it down, make a list, and you'll be surprised as to how much you've been given without realizing it. Friends, coming today, perhaps God has revealed the extent of our pride. And maybe for the very first time, you feel the weight and long for God's forgiveness. If that is you, I want to reassure you that there is still hope. Come before God, surrendering to Him your pride. And for those who trust in Jesus, this is the good news. Humility and love is the antidote to our pride. Let me pray for us. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you so much for waking us up to our folly. Lord, not only do we bank our value and our worth in things that are temporary and fragile, but Lord, in our pride, we refuse to admit it. How many, how many times have you confronted us through your word and we refuse to listen saying, hey, like, I, I know better. How many times have you confronted us and encouraged us to repent and turn back to you and we say, no, I am better than this. And Lord, we thank you so much that the gospel gives us no reasons to be prideful. And that in Jesus, we see the ultimate example of humility and love. And it is his humility and love that is the antidote to our pride. And so, Father, we ask, Lord, for your spirit to seal these truths into our hearts and praise you once again as the giver of all things, as the one that we long for, as the one that we treasure most of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.